Well, welcome to church, everybody. Are you glad to be here today? What an honor to have all of you joining us in the room and joining us online. What a day to be at church. 55 plus baptisms today. Y'all just love to get baptized. It's, it's been an incredible day. Well, you can be seated. Thank you so much. I, I say it all the time. I'll say it again. If I wasn't pastor of this church, I think I'd still come here. Amen, everybody. Now, today we're wrapping up a series entitled Echoes of the Past, where we have taken old hymnals and old hymns and, and, and pulled a message and told the story of every one of them. And we're just big believers, not only in the new songs, how new songs have a way of stirring the hearts and minds of people in a fresh way, but we're, we're also believers in the old songs, because the old songs have, have a way of connecting us to the heritage of our faith. And when you can remember where you've been, you can have strength for where you're going. Can I get a big Amen. So these songs have been, has been really encouraging through this series. Today is the final installation, and I am so excited about it. Pastor Tommy, uh, who you heard from a moment ago, sent me this joke, and if it's not funny, it's his fault. There was a church where the preacher and the song leader were, were not getting along, and this began to spill over into the worship service. Well, one week, the preacher preached on commitment and how we should dedicate ourselves to service, in other words, get off your butt and do something. The song leader led the song at the end of service that said, I shall not be moved. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on giving and how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord. The song leader got up after the sermon and sang the song, Jesus paid it all. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on gossiping and how we should watch our tongues and the song leader got up after the sermon and sang the song I love to tell the story. The preacher became so very disgusted over the situation that the next Sunday he told the congregation that he was considering resigning. And the worship leader stood up behind him and sang the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? <laughs> and it came, as time went, the preacher did resign, and the next week he informed the church that it was Jesus who led him there, and it was Jesus who was taking him away. The song leader got up after the message and said, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't funny, Pastor Tommy. <laughs> because he lives. Everybody say, because he lives. A few weeks ago, I posted on my social media and asked all of you to tell me uh, what were some of the old hymns that spoke to you. And overwhelmingly, we heard songs like Amazing Grace that we covered week number one, and songs like I'll Fly Away, which we covered week number two. And this week, I was scanning through the comments not long ago, and we were talking about this song, and several of you made comments, but one I'll read from Lynn. She said, because he lives, referring to the song that she loved, and she said this afterwards, self-explanatory. In other words, this song just speaks for itself. The story behind this song, the song was written in 1971 by Bill and Gloria Gaither. 
And in her own words, if you'll allow me just to read the story of Gloria when they wrote the song, she said, when Bill and I started our family in the 60s, racial tension was tearing the country apart. Civil rights activists were suffering and some had even been killed. The Vietnam conflict was claiming thousands of lives and tensions boiled over on university campuses. Many young people were disillusioned and dropping out. In this climate, Bill and I sought to write a song that had lasting answers to the terminal or the, the sickness and brokenness of the human spirit. But in the fall of 1969, several things happened to test our own convictions. We realized, she said, that we were expecting another baby, and the last baby prior, they had some difficulties with and was still recovering from that. Not only that, she says that Bill had some health issues that left him exhausted and depressed. She goes on saying this combination of national turmoil and personal, and, and personal trouble discouraged us, and we occasionally asked each other, if the world is like this now, what will it be in 15 to 16 years for our baby? How many of you ever asked that question about your children or grandchildren? What will this child face, she says. While pondering and praying about these things, she came to the realization that our courage doesn't come from a stable world. Hear that. Our courage doesn't come from a stable world, for the world has never been stable. Jesus himself was born in the cruelest of times, died in the cruelest of times rose from the dead in the darkest of times. And she went on to say that because he lives, we can risk living our lives, raising children, having families, running businesses, simply because, she said, the resurrection is true. And they pinned the words, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. If you've been in church a while, maybe you've heard somebody read this. Paul is writing a letter to a young preacher and he says, For God gave us a spirit, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love. And one translation says, a sound mind or self-control. Paul is letting young Timothy know that the spirit you have inside of you is a, pow is a powerful spirit, is a is spirit of love and self-control. It's not a fearful spirit. This fear you're feeling, Timothy, is not God's best for you. It isn't from God. I believe that Paul was writing to Timothy, trying to inform him about the spirit of fear, the fear that Timothy was wrestling with, I believe was the same fear that Bill and Gloria were wrestling with. Wondering, the two words that I think many of us may wonder at times, simply this, what if? What if? What if I don't get the job? What if the bank says no? What if I don't get married? What if we can't get pregnant? What if something terrible happens? What if our kids don't serve the Lord? What if my secret gets out? What if I fail? What if the stock market crashes? What if the diagnosis is this? What if I'm not a good parent in the long run? What if, what if, what if, what if? I think if you and I were honest in the room today, many of us struggle with those two words, what 
What if? I read a study done by a parapsychologist from the University of Michigan. They conducted this, this study over a decade ago about fear, and they asked volunteers to come in, and they tested their brains during online gambling. And with each bet, the frontal cortex of the brain showed increased activity within milliseconds. But what intrigued the researchers, hear this, was there was not much higher brain act, there was much higher brain activity after the loss than after a win. They came to the conclusion that losses matter more to the human brain than gains. In other words, the fear of losing, hear me, interests our brains more than the chance of winning. What if? What if things go bad? What if things go south? What if things don't work out? It reminds me of the story of one summer night during a thunderstorm. A little boy invited his mother into the room. She was tucking him in, and he said, Mom, please sleep with me tonight. She goes, Son, I can't. I, I'm going to be with your father tonight in our room. No, Mom, I'm scared. I need you to sleep in my bed with me. She goes, No, honey, I'm sleeping in bed with your dad. He goes, but I'm so afraid. Honey, I'm gonna sleep in bed with your father. The little boy looked back at the mother, said, he's a big sissy. <laughs> How many of you can relate to the feeling of feeling like life in a thunderstorm and feel like a little bit of a sissy? Researchers at John Hopkins University reported that 30 years ago, 30 year, years ago, the greatest fear in children the greatest fear in children, the top five, number one, were animals. Number two, the dark. Number three, high places. Number four, strangers. Number five, loud noises. This is the greatest fear of children 30 years ago. Fast forward to today. The greatest fear of children in 2023. Number one, divorce. Number two, war. Number three, cancer. Number four, pollution. Number five, being mugged. Look at the progression of fear in our culture. And fear has a destructive nature. A destructive nature. I believe it affects four different areas of our life according to studies. Number one, emotionally. It destroys us emotionally. The Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin so feared his safety that at his residence in Moscow, he would sleep in eight different bedrooms every night. He'd go to one bedroom one night, go to another bedroom another night, go to another bedroom another night in fear that someone was going to kill him. Totally emotionally distraught. Fear can move us into a place of deep depression and anxiety. It can affect our memory. It can affect our processing and reactivity Reaction, ability in our mind, it impacts our thinking and decision-making in negative ways, affects our mental health. We could have long-term fatigue, clinical depression, PSTD, the things that we struggle with when we live in a consistent state of fear. That's why Paul's trying to tell him, this is not God's best for you. Look what it's doing to you, just emotionally. Fear is a way of just getting us all out of whack. It's like the story I heard of the farmer who ran out of money and decided he was gonna rob a bank. Had no money. He was so worked up, he got a bag, he got a gun, he got a mask, he was scared, worried, sat in the car 20, 30, 40 minutes, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to think, was so concerned, so worked up, never done this before, walks in, hands the lady the bag, 
walks in, excuse me, hands the lady a gun, points the bag at all the people, and looks at everybody and says, don't stick with me, this is a mess up. <laughs> Pastor Tommy sent that one too. Here's the next thing. <laughs> Emotionally, next place it messes you up is physically. Physically. Cardiovascular damage, immune system can wear down can flare up our arthritis, some doctors say. The Bible lets us know that our hearts at the end times will fail us for fear. Fail us for fear. You can take that literally or you can take that figuratively, but studies are proving that hearts are failing more consistent now than they were 100 years ago. Not only does fear affect us emotionally and physically, it affects us relationally. Hard to be in a relationship with somebody when you don't trust them. Families can fight and argue and what if and she said and all of these debates and issues and problems and Christmas has tension and there's fear of this and fear of a stepfather and fear of what they said and fear what they might say. On and on it goes. And not only does it affect us in those areas, it affects us spiritually. It affects us spiritually. Paul is letting him know that this is a spirit of fear and this ain't from God. And I believe when you read the Bible, fear is one of our oldest problems. The first recorded words of mankind, if you go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, the first recorded words of mankind were simply this, I was afraid and I hid. Mankind has been fearful and hiding ever since. It is our greatest, oldest problem, fear. Franklin Roosevelt said one time in a speech after Pearl Harbor, he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. What he was trying to communicate to a frightened nation was that what could get the best of us is fear. When fear slips in, what if, what if, what if, it can paralyze us, it can confuse us, slowly destroy us. Bill and Gloria in 1970s was feeling the same way. They were worried, they were feeling anxious, and they wrote these words, because he lives, I can, I can face tomorrow. Now, now, I'm not a songwriter, but if I was to write the song, I don't think that's what I would have wrote. I think I would have wrote something like, because he's faithful, I can face tomorrow. Or because he's good, I can, I can face tomorrow. No, they pin the words, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Which begs the question to be answered today, what does that even mean? Bill and Gloria understood something about the power of his resurrection. Now, resurrection is a word we normally hear on Easter, right? We hear about resurrection and Jesus rising from the dead. We hear about that on Easter, but, but what do you mean by resurrection? Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it that he's alive? What, is, what does that mean? Simply stated, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is a big takeaway. The resurrection means Jesus can be trusted. 
Give me some time to work through this. I can tell you're a little suspicious. It proves, hear me, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Let me explain. Throughout human history, for thousands of years, men and women have claimed to be God. Some have had followings. Some have built temples in their honor. Some people have had thousands of people poison themselves following their leadership. It's insane when you look through. Go online today and look at the amount of people who have claimed to be deity. Jesus shows up on the scene as saying things they've heard before. Saying that I'm the son of God. I am God. I'm the way, the truth, the life. These are huge statements, but they weren't uncommon statements. They've heard other people say these things. But Jesus proved he was God. Well, how did he prove it? Matthew 16, 21. Look at this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. This is what he said. Watch this. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, you and I know the story that Jesus lived a perfect life. He was condemned at the hands of the religious crowd and was, was sentenced to death and crucified. They took him down. Nobody attended his funeral but a Pharisee and a businessman. They put him in the tomb, and the Bible says three days Later, Jesus rose from the dead with all power, taking the keys of hell, death, and the grave. In other words, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do, proving that he can be trusted. Jesus wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't dead for 15 minutes. They couldn't have just given him the whole pow, pow, pow. That he rose from the dead. He was dead for three days, buried in a tomb. Nobody could take credit for the resurrection of a man dead for three days. Someone could take credit and say, they pow, 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 I'm back to life. But nobody could take credit for the resurrection of a dead man. Notice Jesus said it wasn't day two, and it wasn't day four, and it was, it was day number three. Jesus prophesied that he was going to raise from the dead, proving that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Come on, give him praise and glory. Romans chapter one said that he has shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody else who said they were God, still dead. Everybody else who claimed they were something important, still dead. You can go exhume their bodies, still there. Bones, still there but I've been to Jerusalem and he's not there. (laughs) 
In fact, when I went to Jerusalem, we went to several different things to look at. We went to the Sea of Galilee, and we went to Capernaum, went to Peter's mother-in-law's house. We went to different temples and synagogues and amazing things. But when we got to the tomb, the garden tomb where it is believed that Jesus raised from the dead, and we went in there seven people at a time, and when you got to this place, there was a holy hush. It was different than every other place I went. It was different than every other place we observed. When we went into the tomb, people on the outside would be confused, I'm sure, seeing grown men wiping tears and people on their knees crying out to God. I'm sure there were many people on the outside thinking about what's inside that tomb that makes everybody so uh, uh, moved emotionally. Can I tell you today, it's not what was in the tomb It's who's not in the tomb that stirs the heart of a Christian who knows that it is by his raising from the dead. I have no fear. It proves that I can trust what he says. Timothy Keller said this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said because it validates he is exactly God. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything else he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. You don't have to like what he says, but you just need to know he is who he said he is. And if he is who he said he is, the Bible says his word is forever established in heaven. So we have to adjust our lives to what he said because of what he did. Are you still with me? I can trust what he says because he lives. I I can trust his promises, I can trust his word, I can trust him because he can be trusted because he lives. If the word of God says that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, can I tell you today you can take that to the bank because he can be trusted, why? Because he lives. If Jesus says in the word of God, the Holy Spirit inspired that he says that he is near the brokenhearted, can I inform you today, whether you are in a situation at a funeral home or you are laying in your home grieving the loss of a family member, the Bible says that he is near the brokenhearted and you can, again, take it to the bank because he is not a man that he should lie. He can be trusted. He said he's your hiding place. He's your ever-present help in time of trouble. The Bible says that any man that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is something powerful we're talking about. Our faith cannot be in whether the situations around us are stable or improving. Our life faith is in simply the character, immovable, and shakable power of God. Am I helping you today? Reminds me of the story of Peter in the Bible. When you look through the pages, Peter was real arrogant. He got a little bit of an edge on him. He's always cussing and cutting someone's ears off all the time. Somebody's like, that's my kind of preacher right there. Well, the night before Jesus was crucified, they're all in the room together having a staff meeting, and Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And Peter says, I will never deny you. I will never. And Jesus said, just let's not get the cart before the horse, Peter. Because before 
sunrise, you're going to deny me three times. The Bible says the guards come and take Jesus and Peter, this confident, cocky little guy, becomes fearful. The Bible says he's watching from afar off. He's full of fear. He denies him. He's scared of what people think. The Bible lets us know that Jesus is crucified. He's buried, and in that time that he's buried, Peter is now hiding with the disciples at a house with the door closed. He's scared. The fear that has gripped his heart. But when Jesus rose from the dead, the angels tell Mary and Martha, they say, go tell the disciples and Peter that he's risen from the dead. If I remember right, I believe Peter was the first one to the tomb to look in to see that Jesus was no longer there. When you examine the life of Peter before the resurrection and after the resurrection, two different people. He was scared and shaking and denying Christ and was worried what everybody thought and was all scared about his reputation and his Instagram followers and what's everybody gonna say about me and I'm not gonna say. But after he looked in that tomb, after he saw the napkin folded, after he looked in, he knew the game has changed. The Bible, if you just turn the pages to Acts chapter two, the Bible says the Holy Spirit falls and they, the people around him said, what man, what is going on here? And the Bible says, Peter stood up. Oh, coward, scared Peter stood up among everybody and said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that your sons and your daughters, and he begins to preach when everybody else was scared. What made him so different? It's because he saw with his own eyes the Christ that he loved was risen from the dead. He was a different man when the Holy Spirit got on the inside of him. He was not afraid anymore. Just turn to page one more time, Acts chapter number three. The man who's, who, is, who is sick at the gate called Beautiful, been carried there for 40 years. Peter and John going into the temple at the hour of prayer. They see a man sitting there, and the man looks at him expecting alms of them. Peter looks at him and says, look upon us. He says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and wall. Picks him up. The Bible says his ankle bones receive strength. And God used Peter in his boldness in Acts chapter 3 that he didn't have in Matthew 27. But what happened? He saw an empty tomb. I just looked through the pages and can look in Acts chapter number four. And the Bible says he's out preaching and they, and they arrest him. And they're like, you're guilty of preaching in the name of Jesus. He said, my God, I'm guilty. I hope I'm guilty of that. And, they, and they, they take him, and they beat him, and they whip him, and they cursed him, and they said, hey, by the way, under the law, you can't be talking about Jesus no more. Now, you would think this would get Peter. I'm cool with you, Acts chapter 2, preaching like you got something. I'm cool with you healing a guy in Acts chapter 3 because you got all excited, got a little jitterbug, then you got the power of God. Now, Acts chapter number 4, surely to God, this coward's coming back. The Bible says that after they let him go, he went to preaching again. Because he just had something on the end. He just believed that because he lives, I got something on the inside because he's alive. Peter wasn't the same man after he knew that Jesus was alive. Hear me in closing. I gave you four, four promises of fear. Let me give you four promises of faith. Because he lives, watch this. 
I can face tomorrow. <laughs> Let me give you another one. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Are you with me? How about this one? Because he lives, I know who, who holds the future. Because he lives, life is worth living. Because he lives. Let me show you something. Can I just take you somewhere? Can I open my Bible at church? Somebody say yes. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Here we go. First Peter, look at, here's, we're talking about coward Peter right now. Scared of everything, gonna hide. Look what he says. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. That's what Peter said. The confidence is different. He walks different. He talks different. The Peter I know in this part of the Bible is much different than the Peter I know in this part of the Bible. Because he saw an empty tomb. Because he lives. All fear is gone. The thing about fear, I want you to listen to me. The thing about fear it's really powerful because anything's possible. Anything's possible. But let me add to that, that's also the thing that makes faith powerful. Because anything's possible. If, if we've all heard it said that faith can, can, can move a mountain, can I help you today? If faith can move a mountain, fear can make a mountain. What if, what if, what if, let me ask you this, what if, what if works both ways? What if it won't work? What if it does? What if, what if a miracle doesn't happen? What if a miracle does happen? What if I never find a man? What if you do find you a man? Could be here today, praise God. Ladies, be looking out. <laughs> what if, what if works both ways? Maybe the reason you're scared, maybe the thing you're most scared of is a great opportunity that you should put more faith in. Let me explain it like this. When we came to Columbus, Mississippi, my wife and I, I'm from Ohio, she's from Alabama. When I, we got married like a, a 10 or 12 years ago. We, we came here and, and, and they called us. They said, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. I'm trying to stay, stay with me, people. I don't know how long we've been married. I just know she's still with me. Praise God, everybody. Can't keep the number right. As long as she's still in the house, everything's good. Now, keep with me. We came to Mississippi, and when we got here, they took us through the building. You know, I don't, I've never put an application in for ministry ever. I believe if God's got his hand on your life, he'll open the doors for you, okay? I didn't apply for this church. I didn't, I didn't even, I never heard of this church. Well, I got a call. It was Pat Davidson at the time. He, he was on the board, and, and we're pastor selection team, all that. And if you've ever talked to Pat, he always talks like this. Hey, how are you? It's always... Hey, Pastor, this is Pat Davidson. How are you? <laughs> so anyway, 
I come into town. I was scheduled to preach the next day. We come through, and I'll never forget. Jill, you were with us. I don't remember if we came through this side or that side, but when I saw these seats, what if? What if? What if this doesn't work? What if people don't come? What if this isn't going to take? What if people don't like my kind of preaching? I'm a different kind of preacher. I scream and yell and sweat and yell, yeller and yaller. And I open the altars. I pray for people. I prophesy. What People don't want that. It's 2023. People don't want that kind of preaching. I'm a little Yankee. The next morning we came in, this room was half full, maybe. Sparse, full sections empty, both services. Between, the, between both services were 700 people. There's 700 chairs right here in this bowl between both services. So this, this bottom was both services with kids. What if this isn't gonna work? What if they don't want to, what if they don't want this? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? But there's always this little voice on the inside of me that says, what if it does? What if there's still people that want Jesus in Columbus? What if there's still people in the Golden Triangle that want to be baptized? What if there's people in our area that want their kids in kids ministry? What if there's a staff that wants to charge the mountain? What, what, if, there, what if it's still here? What if? And I have had to decide consistently, not one time, often, am I gonna believe that God can move a mountain or am I gonna have fear and make this a mountain? Am I gonna believe that the best days for this church is still ahead or am I gonna be scared like Peter and run or am I gonna stand bold like Acts chapter two and Acts chapter three and Acts chapter four? My confidence is not in my ability, hear me. My confidence is that he is alive. He can be trusted. He's got us. He's not left me. He's leading you. He's guiding you. And I don't want to portray that I don't have any fear. Oh, I'm so confident, baby. I've got no problems in my whole life. That is not true. I'm scared all the time. I get scared. I get scared if numbers are down. Oh, people all quitting. Oh, Jesus, everybody hates me. And God says, it's not about you. If I don't go to the lobby for, and shake 400 hands, someone's going to get mad. What do people think? What, what is the, what's the community? That's how you should be in my head for 24 hours. It's like, all the time. But you, but you want to know something? First off, that's real life. People get saved and act like they're... I got everything together. Praise God, bless God, glory be to Jesus. But real people 
have days where they're just not sure. Maybe God won't put you in a position where there is no fear because he wants to know if you'll stretch out your faith. Maybe the problem is everybody doesn't want fear, so they reposition their lives in a way they never have to activate faith. But coming to Mississippi was a total faith move. I didn't come here because I thought it would work. I come here because I believe God can make it work. I don't think I have the creativity and the ability and the intelligence and the networking. I just know God's alive. And if somebody will come to church and believe God, I just know when you pray for marriages, it may look hopeless, but I just know God's alive. I don't know what to do about teenagers. I don't know what to do about your son or your daughter or addiction. But what I do know is that he's alive and well. And if he gets in the story and God picks up the pen, Peter can stand in Acts chapter two. Miracles can happen in Acts chapter three, and God's power can be present in Acts chapter four. What if, what if works both ways? Stop being scared. Stop being worried. Settle your heart. He's got you. You've probably had a hundred reasons to panic, panic. So when did that tornado hit your house? Three months ago today, in uh, what was that city, Amory? Okay. Your house was just messed up. Your whole driveway, I heard, cars. Somebody told me that one was missing. Austin's truck, just gone. They were in the house. No, weren't you in there? And your kids were at your parents or somebody's parents. You know how many times she probably could fear, feel worry, fear about the future, fear, fear about her life and her resources. And, but she can stand up here today and sing the praises because she knows he lives. It ain't about me, it's all about him. Because he lives. Because he lives. Do me a favor. Can you sing it for me one more time? I just think people need to know in their spirit that things can be hard. And things can be difficult. And things can be fearful. But maybe, just maybe, God will allow you and I in fearful places so that we can stretch our faith. Yea, though I walk, <laughs> I didn't do this last service, but I feel like I'm preaching to somebody. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's dark, and I'm scared, and it's, and it's lonely, but thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but I've come to tell you today, he still lives. He still lives. He's still alive. He's not forgotten about you. He's not given up on you. He is alive. Come on, let's worship God all over this room.
like you're struggling with fear today I just want you to do me a favor just right where you are you have some you got some fear in your heart in your mind in your in your marriage and your kids and your finances here's what I want you I want you just to raise your hand nice and high where you are I just want to pray with you right where you are look at the hands I love it I love it I love it God sees you God sees you. and he knows everything you're facing and it isn't scaring him God didn't just see you raise your hand to go what no way he knows your thoughts. He knows your fears. And today I speak life over you. I pray in the name of Jesus that fear will subside. I pray peace that passes understanding. I pray faith to rise up in a what if situation. I pray that what ifs begin to die and they believe what if with faith, believing that you can do the impossible, the unbelievable, and the unexplainable. Let it be so in Jesus' name. If you believe it today, put your hands together. Give God a big praise. <laughs> 